0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or red coffee and talking about writing, publishing, the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, but we don't swear a lot, so consider us PG-13. Your host today is John Schmidt, and joining us today is Karen Brenchley, and we're focusing in because Karen is going to tell us a story, and she's not just going to tell us a story. She's gonna tell us how to make a story real. So, Karen, let's start with something simple. Could you introduce yourself, please?
1: Hi, well, I'm Karen Brinchley, and since there are so few Brinchleys, it would not be surprising to know that I'm married to Chaz Brinchley, who has been a writer for 40 years. I have had a handful of stories published. The first one that I've had published will is going to be the focus of this podcast. However, I would be remiss if I did not pimp out Chaz's upcoming uh, collection, Everything in All the Wrong Order, The Best of Chaz Princh- Brinchley, which will be coming out from Subterranean Press as the date nears, we'll let you know.
0: That's a good thing. And we will, as usual, include links, but we can't, knowing you as I know you, you were a writer long ago. You've written and had films made.
1: I made the films. I—that's what I started doing creatively. I made uh, it came from a test tube, which you can find in four parts on um, on YouTube. I made the cavalry comes over the hill, which is on YouTube. And um, these were done on reel-to-reel videotape because they didn't have cassette videotape by the in in the community access television station uh, on cable when I was in high school um, and I was sure I was going to be uh, a movie maker, a movie writer, and write for television. I read David Gerald's how he wrote his Star Trek Trouble with Tribbles script, and I was sure I was going to do that. And then I became a software engineer.
0: And uh, well, and more than a software engineer, but here we're, we're here to talk about your writing. So let's move on to your more recent writing than that and this particular story.
1: So the story I'm going to read to you, and it's in an anthology that's out of print. You can find the occasional, the occasional uh, copy of it, you know, searching Amazon or searching, you know, online. It's edited by Sue Thomason and Liz Williams. Liz Williams has just come out with Comet Weather, which I highly recommend, and the sequel has been turned into the publisher. My story is called Drowning Victims, and so Whitby is set, Whitby itself is on the coast of of England at the North Sea, so it's very, very cold, uh, very windy, very, you know, North Sea-ish. Whitby is a mini hour bus ride from york which is just a fabulous city and i highly recommend visiting it and the next biggest city north of it is newcastle upon tyne which conveniently is where Chaz is from and it has it has appeared so dracula in the novel dracula dracula was in whitby for part of the novel it was in uh there's a whitby abbey is a famous abbey there was a Hild, Was Hilda was the, uh, the abbess, thank you, the abbess, and she was rare in those days. This is in, you know, early, like, 6th century, they had a synod, and she, as a, as a woman, was invited to this synod, and I cannot remember it, perhaps, John, you can, but um, she was a very big deal, and Whitby Abbey was a very big deal, it was a, and it's still standing, in, it's in ruins, but it's still standing there. And so, um, and Whitby just has all sorts of little quirks and odds and ends and things. And so, Sue Thomason and Liz Williams do these anthologies periodically, and they're set in the town where one of them lives, and Sue lived in Whitby. And the way I found out about this anthology, this is the very first story I sold. I had written some stuff. I'd mostly written poetry, though, and you know how well that sells and how much it pays. But I was on this is this is in the early 2000s, so or the mid 2000s, and so Google existed, and but the the World Wide Web existed, Facebook didn't. So the way people you know chatted and communicated is, there would be websites that would host essentially Facebook groups. So people would join these groups and send you know and and send emails back and forth, and everyone would see them and that kind of thing. And so I was in this group with a bunch of writers because I just happened to know lots of writers. And Liz said, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this anthology, and anyone here is welcome to, to submit a story." And I thought, "I'm here." And she sent out what's called a bible. The, the bible. This term is also used in film and television, and in writing. But it's a. This is what we want. Our project to look like this is these are the things that should be in it this is just to let people know what's coming and what you need to do so I perused the Bible carefully and, and looked for things that you know that I thought might be you know might make a good story because I was thinking you know what if what if I could my main character could be English I thought oh, I'm just so not English I'm so American how do I do that there, you know, there's other, there were other things. There's uh, Cadman, who was a, a famous. He's a famous early English poet. If you're into early English poetry, I thought, well, maybe yeah. I could be a was
0: poet. He in, was he in the Bible, or is he coming out of your own experience?
1: Cadman is someone I've heard of. So I belong to the Society of Creative Anachronism, and I was a bard in the Society of, for Creative Anachronism. So,
0: so Cadman isn't from the Bible. Cadman's from your own knowledge. That's, that's...
1: Cadman is from my own knowledge, but it was mentioned there. Okay. But there's also they put notes about things like the amusement arcade is directly opposite the fish key. Okay. That's kind of interesting. The old spa theater is haunted, she said they, they say in this.
0: So the Bible also, has
1: hmm, excuse me?
0: the Bible has a lot of in town information, but the secondary part of it is, is even if the Bible's wrong as far as the town goes, the Bible's right as far as the writing goes.
1: Yes, these are these are things. They're just letting us know to get started, so we don't have to go. This is, again, this was Google, but not every, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't as complete and that kind. People didn't post things as much, but also things like um, host a whole bunch of festivals. They host that kind of thing. So with all of this, I said, okay, I'm going to be um, I'm going to be an American. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to be an American on vacation. And conveniently, I had before I started writing this, I actually had gone on vacation to England and went to York.
0: Did you have a couple of kids with you?
1: No, but I generally do you know other people's kids. I like other people's kids. you give them back after they're spoiled rotten. Uh, so anyway, so I had been to I'd been to York. I wanted to go to Whitby, but it's a mini hour bus ride, and you know things didn't work out. but anyway, so I had I also. Did take advantage of the internet to look up some things. Also, I bought Whitby, A Pictorial History. And I bought Around Whitby. That's one of those books that's kind of got a sepia print on the front. And you can buy one for just about any town anywhere. I got one for Sunnyvale. They're very nice. I really like them. And uh, But they, they have pictures. They had pictures. And so looking through these and giving this knowledge, I said, okay, I'm going to have a mother and two kids in Whitby and using all of this knowledge it's like well what's going to happen and so let's find out what happens and on the way i'm going to read you the story and i will pause on occasion to say and this is this is where this came from just so you know how i use my research but the very first thing is the title is drowning victims and it's I got the name because th- th- during this time period, this is 2005, I think, mm-hmm. goths were in, goths were in, and everywhere you looked, there was a young woman with very pale skin and wearing you know, black things, and one of, my, one of my more colorful friends described them rather disparagingly as drowning victims, so that's part of where this title comes from, Drowning Victims by Karen Williams, that was my name at the time. Carolyn Bowers looked up from the tourist guide in her hand and said, as cheerfully as possible, the old spa theater is haunted. Isn't that nice? She looked back through the light drizzle at her two teenage children. Marcia, in her torn black dress, black stockings, and combat boots, standing with her arms crossed and a deep scowl on her face, looked enough like a witch that Carolyn wondered if the rain would melt her. Carolyn had named her after Marcia Brady with a vision of a perfect daughter with flowing blonde hair. Instead, her Marsha had dyed her hair black and would only answer to the name Raven Rain. Little side note, I used the what is your goth name meme on the internet as you, you know, what is your whatever name that you see, and if you put uh, Marsha Bowers in, you get Raven Rain. Okay, moving on. With a stifled sigh, Carolyn turned to her son at 14, not quite so world-weary as his older sister. As usual, Rob had his game boy in front of his face, his thumbs working rapidly. Rob, I think there 's an arcade down by the water. Would you like to try would you like to visit it later? Her son grunted without looking up. She was pretty sure the last complete sentence he 'd uttered was "All your base are belong to us several years before, whatever that meant. Google all your base are belong to us and and you will see what that means. It was very funny at the time i assure you anyway moving back carolyn sighed aloud this time they stood at they stood outside the sea cliff hotel in Whitby, a town on the coast of yorkshire in northeastern england on the last friday in october the hotel was aptly named because they indeed stood on a cliff above the sea the north sea and through the cold rain that spat down threatening to turn into snow she could see waves pounding into the sand below she looked back at her children, one of whom could be seen glaring through thick black hairs stuck by rainwater to her forehead and cheeks, and one of whom was hunched up under the hood of his raincoat, ignoring her in his attempts to keep Super Mario safe from the damp. She considered jumping, but that would mean her husband would get the last word, if he ever used a complete sentence again either. That everything I just described is real. Got it from the internet. I'm hungry, Marcia announced to a spot over Carolyn's right shoulder. Rob grunted agreement. Carolyn didn't bother answering. This argument had begun half an hour ago when Marcia had announced that the food in the hotel restaurant was completely unacceptable. Carolyn had argued reasonably, she felt, that since they served seafood, steak, and vegetarian food, there was a wide enough choice for all of them. But you chose the restaurant last night, Marcia said, playing her trump card. They had spent the last two days in York, Despite the grandeur of the Yorkminster Cathedral surrounded by an embattled city wall, Marcia was immediately entranced by the shambles, a street in Old York rumored to be haunted. Since they were in Yorkshire, Carolyn felt that they should eat roast beef and Yorkshire pudding for dinner. She was rewarded by spending the next hour watching her children poke at their food and complain about the peas. Even ordering spotted dick for dessert only garnered the smallest of smiles from Rob and a you from Marcia. Little side note, that really happened to me. I was in York. I felt I should eat Yorkshire pudding. I went to a tourist pub. Tourists, avoid them. They served cold peas, and it was horrible. But Spotted Dick is a very tasty dessert. I recommend it. So tonight, Carolyn conceded defeat, which was why they were deep, damply walking from their warm hotel several feet down the road to Ming's Palace. Though it was still early, the rain clouds hid the last of the fading sun, and the occasional streetlight didn't help much to cut through the gloom. There were more people out and about than Carolyn would expect, given the rain, and the way they dressed reminded her of Marcia stood holding open the door to Ming's palace, her exasperated mom, stirring Carolyn from her reverie. She followed her daughter inside, but stopped just inside the door, surprised, in among the very few local people and tourists that she would expect to be out on such a cold night were several people wearing pale makeup and dressed in an odd assortment of old black clothes, very like what her daughter wore, though at the moment her daughter wore what looked suspiciously like a smile. As the waiter seated them, Caroline did her best to stare without actually looking at any of the other diners. She did pull Marsha away from one young man who didn't have her same inhibitions. Carolyn hadn't seen this many Goths as she believed they were called in one place and was vaguely disappointed. They just didn't seem British and she'd wanted the vacation as a way to find her roots or maybe just find herself. A grunt from Rob indicated he did in fact want cashew chicken, Marcia went for mushu pork, and Caroline, in a fit of daring, ordered the fried duck, which gained her another ew from her daughter. Then you don't have to share. Caroline spread out her damp tourist guide on the table, ignoring the faces Marcia was making. Now the Music port Music Festival starts tomorrow, Caroline cut through the groans from her children, and runs for three days, groups from Africa, the Caribbean, all over Europe. Boring. Marcia slumped back in her chair. Can't we just, you know, hang out? This dump is bound to have history or something educational. From the glances Marcia was making toward the young men and women at the nearby tables, Caroline was pretty sure she knew what kind of education her daughter had in mind. Caroline held very tightly to the shreds remaining of her temper. We're here as a family. We're going to do things as a family. Things you like to do, Marcia spoke softly to the table. But you like music, Caroline said, puzzled. When you were little, you always used to, I wish dad were here. Rob looked up from his game almost furtively, then quickly ducked his head back down again. Marcia sat back with her arms crossed, scowling down at the tabletop. Caroline's stomach did a quick somersault. Your father's working hard, she said, with his level of voice as she could manage. Dad's always at work. And that was the problem, wasn't it? Paul, like so many other software engineers in Silicon Valley, worked late at night and on the weekends, worried for his job in this bad economic time except that she wasn't sure if that was his reason or his excuse. Well, maybe, Caroline began, only to be interrupted by the arrival of their food, brought by a young Chinese man. As he set out their plates, he glanced uncertainly at their family, one middle-aged woman in sensible slacks and a sweater, one teenage boy in sagging blue jeans and a Master Chief t-shirt from Halo 2, and one older teenage girl dressed like she planned to be a witch for Halloween and asked, here for goth weekend are you so a little aside goth weekend is in fact the weekend after the music festival it really is pretty much that knowledge gave me this story and i used the internet so at the moment i i you know i'd seen some goths around town i live in silicon valley so i know what engineers were like i know what the times were like that was at the um uh beginning of wasn't that the great recession or something around you know, 2006 or something, it was starting to, you know, people were worrying for their jobs. But I didn't really, I couldn't just describe a goth outfit. So I went online and would be goth weekend and saw Mm -hmm. all these people and they appear. I will describe them. You will now find out what they look like. So Marcia said, did you say goth weekend? No, we're here for the International Music Festival. Caroline explained. Oh, that was last week. The waiter shook his head. This week is the goths. And with that, he finished setting down their food and hurried off to another table. Marcia's eyes were shining. Mom, this is great. I bet they'll have music. Good music, she said pointedly, and maybe shopping. A woman at the next table, wearing what looked like a burgundy corset with a matching velvet skirt, stood up and began shrugging into her long black leather coat. I'm off to the bazaar then, she said to her table mates before heading for the door. A bazaar, said Marcia, so there is shopping. She turned to her mother with the same big eyes she used to use when begging for a new Barbie. Please, mom, can we go, please? I'll never ask for anything again ever. This would be so cool. Side note, yes, there is a bazaar. I found that out on the internet. Carolyn couldn't think of anything more unnerving than spending time in a loud room crowded close to people who looked like the people in the restaurant. Most of them looked like bodies washed up after a drowning. She tried to sound as reasonable as possible. as She said, I know you'll be disappointed, but I don't think so, dear. You can do your music things at home. This trip is about you. Marcia interrupted, her voice bitter. This trip is about you and what you want and where you want to go, which is to get away from us and to get away from dad. Caroline stared astonished. Marcia, I hate that name. She screamed, I hate you. Her daughter pushed back her chair, grabbed her coat, and stalked out of the restaurant. Caroline froze for a moment in complete disbelief, then in slowly mounting anger. The other diners were were either trying not to look at her or openly smirking. How dare, how dare she act that way, Caroline said in a fierce whisper, after all I've done for her, bringing her all the way to the land of her roots. She stood up in the now silent restaurant and pulled on her blue raincoat, decorated with cheerful ducks, and thrust her purse at a dumbfounded dumbfounded Rob. Pay for dinner. She left him staring after her as she hurried past the other diners towards the door. Outside the rain was still falling softly, and a fog had moved in to swirl around a growing crowd of shadowy figures moving past. In the dimness, Caroline could make out one dark clad figure, couldn't make out one dark clad figure from another. Marcia? The crowd continued to push past her. Raven? Three heads turned toward her, but before they turned away again, she could tell none were whom she was looking for. Self consciously, she put up her hood against the rain and set off to the right toward a large building set against the cliff. Her map had said this was the Spa Pavilion, home of the supposedly haunted theater. Maybe Marsha had gone there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remembered, but I, in the Bible it said the Spa Pavilion and the Spa Theater were haunted. Anyway, she joined the throng of people moving toward the looming brick building ahead, grateful for her boots as she splashed through a puddle. The young people around her laughed and shouted at friends in the, in the muffling fog, though their good humor simply fueled the anger still rising in her. As she looked at the girls walking past in their old-fashioned finery, she could only think of the battles after battles she and Martha fought. Why did Marcia insist on dressing like a bag lady from a hundred years ago? Why did she insist on making her mother's life miserable? She was just like her father. Carolyn stopped abruptly, the young people cursing as they veered to avoid her. She ignored them. She was not going to listen to teenagers anymore. Just as soon as she found Marcia, she was sending her home to her father. And Rob, too. Caroline was going to be on her own, be free of all of them. She started walking toward the spa pavilion again in a grimmer mood. She soon found herself moving with the flow towards a door at the closer end of the building. When she made her way inside, she found herself in front of a table with a harried woman sitting at it. Ticket, the woman said, over the loud music pounding from inside. Ticket? Carolyn asked stupidly. I'm looking for my daughter. She ran away. 36 pounds then. The woman briskly said the woman briskly, tapping lightly on the table with her fingertips. Thirty-six pounds, Carolyn thought angrily to herself. This will come out of Marcia's allowance, but her groping hand did not find her purse, and after a moment's horror, she realized she had left it with Rob. I don't have any money, Carolyn said, flustered. With me, I mean, my daughter. But the woman had already turned to the man behind her. Carolyn found herself pushed into a corner just inside the door with a good look at the people streaming by. She didn't see Marcia, but the other, others caused her to stare. They weren't all teenagers, as she had expected, but people of all ages and sizes, she thought, looking at one busty woman in a frilly blue velvet dress and matching feather hat. Or was that a man? Carolyn quickly looked at the next group in line, two men and a woman, all dressed in tight black leather and fishnets, with spiked leather collars around their necks. One had a sharp steel claw on his index finger. One had fangs showing through his lips, black with lipstick. Again, this is all from the internet. Her anger began to give way to panic. Her baby was inside with people like this. Then in relief, she realized that Marcia probably didn't have 36 pounds either. Caroline began pushing against the tide toward the door. If Marcia wasn't here, she'd still be outside and Caroline was determined to find her. The crush of the crowd forced her up against a tall man in a long satin cape As, at her muffled excuse me. He turned from where he was tacking up a poster announcing a bat conservation fund raffle, next to one announcing a concert by a band named Screaming Banshee Air Crew to face her. There really is a band called Screaming Banshee Air Crew. Mm -hmm. "'Good evening, madam,' he said, offering his hand. She reached to shake it, but he instead lifted it to his lips and kissed the air just above it, before releasing it gently. Surprised, Carolyn's hand felt a slap against her side. Now this, she thought, is how a man should treat a woman. Even in the dim light, his face was surprisingly hard to focus on, though he appeared very handsome. His dark hair was carefully combed back from a, from a widow's peak. His dark eyes gazed intently at her, and, like almost everyone else, he wore old-fashioned black evening clothes. Leaving, were you? he asked in a deep voice. At her nod, he took her arm and tucked it under his, then began moving them both towards the door. The crowd, which had thickly blocked the door a moment before, moved out of his way immediately, though no one seemed to notice him. Just as none of them noticed me, Carolyn thought bitterly. As she stepped beside him through the door, she added to herself, but a gentleman saw me right away. As the cold rain and fog hit her face, she snuggled closer against her tall companion. This way, he said, leading her along the side of the pavilion toward the second wing, which, according to her tourist guide, held the theater, His voice lacked the distinctive quality that she had come to associate with the people of Whitby. Side note, people in Whitby and all along the coast are Geordies. They have a very distinct accent. Where are you from? Carolyn said, trying to avoid puddles. Her companion answered, why from here? At her puzzled look, he added, I have lived here for some time, though my family comes from the Principality of Wallachia in Eastern Europe. He shrugged, elegant in his silken cape. I'm technically minor nobility there, though I haven't returned for some time. Guess who this is? Two guesses. Anyway, Caroline walked along, alongside him contentedly, trying to imagine walking through the fog, swirling romantically around them with her husband, Paul. If she, if she could get him out of the house at all, he'd insist on wearing old jeans and a t-shirt. She hadn't seen him in formal clothes since their wedding. The fog seemed to be muffling the noise because she could no longer hear the band that had been playing and she couldn't see any other people nearby. In fact, the fog had grown so thick she couldn't see her feet. The man next to her seemed like the only other person in the world. The man with her stopped and through the fog, Caroline could just make out a door and a wall that had, belo- that had to belong to the theater. There was, an, there was no line here and when he opened the door, there was no ticket taker sitting at a table. In fact, it didn't look much like a theater at all. Where are we, she asked, beginning to be worried. Remember I mentioned the old spa theater is haunted, a place I consider a second home. Would you like to come inside, he answered pleasantly. As she held back, he added, I can offer you a glass of wine and a little bite of something. He smiled down at her, and in the little bit of light that could make it through the fog, she saw what looked like fangs, real fangs. She froze, horrified. Adrenaline broke the spell, and she turned and ran through the fog, her boots splashing water up her legs and her breath rasping in her throat. In the fog, she couldn't tell where she was going, but she didn't care, as long as she got away. Carolyn hadn't gone far when her terror in the fog slowed her down. She listened as carefully as she could, with her pulse beating in her ears, but still could hear no one nearby. She didn't dare cry out. He might hear her. Who was he? Could Marcia have? No, there wasn't time but there were others about just as strange and possibly just as dangerous. Where was Marcia? She didn't even know where she was just then. She had to keep moving and hope the fog lifted, or she found someone safe to help her. She felt her earlier anger rise up again. How could Marcia put her through this? Why did she always think only of herself? Carolyn quickly found what felt like the street and began walking in the direction of where she thought the hotel was. She started counting her steps in the hopes that it would give her an idea of how far she'd come. In 10 more steps, I'll find Marcia," Carolyn whispered softly to herself as she walked. In 10 more steps, I'll find a local. In 10 more steps, I'll be safe. In 10 more steps, she noticed that the road was starting to slope downhill, and she realized she had gone the wrong way. She was on the Khyber Pass, which led down to the harbor. She paused in the roadway. If she wanted to go back to the hotel, she knew how, She knew now which direction to go. But back that direction was the dark man with the cloak and all the goths with their velvet and claws. If she kept going, she'd soon be downtown, where there would be other people, normal people, who could help her find Marcia. She kept going. The lower the road became, the thinner the fog. She could hear something screeching above her, and for a moment, the squabbling sounded like her children. For a heartbeat, she convinced herself they were, then realized she heard goals, fighting over a morsel. Rob, at least, should be safely back at the hotel with his games. Then she remembered the arcade. Maybe Marsha had gone down there. It was down somewhere near the harbor. Carolyn began walking faster. As she rounded the corner of Khyber Pass and headed down to Pier Road, the fog had lifted almost completely. Above the raucous noise of the gulls, Caroline could hear voices. They seemed to be coming from the foot of the pier, so she turned in that direction, walking past a white tower. The rain had stopped, too, and the sky seemed brighter, as if it were not yet twilight. She could see some women clustered together at the base of the pier, staring intently out to sea. As Caroline walked closer, sound fell away and she felt like she was walking into a silent bubble. The goals, even the waves pounding against the pier, fell silent and her footsteps fell muffled into the stillness. So the next scene is from a picture in Whitby, a pictorial history. And so I used this picture and expanded um, and expanded the scene from that okay. at first she thought the women speaking quietly together were more goths but as she came closer she saw that though they wore ankle-length old-fashioned dresses they were simply women her own age who looked worried their voices grew louder as Caroline approached through the hush on the old wooden quay. silent waves washed up against the pier and over the top falling on the women in silver droplets I just want them to be safe is all. The woman who had spoken was the tallest of the three. Her dark hair pulled back from her face and braided behind her head in a bun. The other two sighed and nodded, but said nothing. After a moment, one of the other women, wearing a brightly colored pinny over her dress and a drab headscarf over her blonde hair, addressed the tall woman. Molly, I've never known them to be so late. Lines of worry creased her forehead. Now, Nell, they've returned from worse seas. Molly patted Nell's hand, but her own eyes looked doubtful. Caroline had now walked close enough to touch them, but the three women continued to look down the pier at the roiling ocean, not acknowledging her presence. She followed their eyes out to sea, but could make out nothing on the waves but the now silent gulls, swooping at tidbits. The third woman took a deep, quavering breath, but said nothing. Molly patted her as well, saying, It's in God's hands now, Tess. We can but pray. Tess lowered her head, though, as if, if, though if in prayer, Caroline couldn't tell. Abruptly, Nell said, but my Rob's so young, just 13. Caroline started. Not so young. He's almost a man grown. Tess pulled her arms close, hugging herself. And he's learning the trade from your will. The other men speak well of him. I pray they both come home safely. Nell's sigh ended in a sob. We can't keep our children home safe forever, Molly said, sounding regretful. Why not? Caroline asked. Why can't we keep them safe? Why would you want to? Tess asked sharply, running over the end of Carolyn's sentence as if she hadn't heard her. Do you want them to slouch around your kitchen, eating you out of house and home? As soon as they can work, they work. Work hard. Carolyn thought of her Rob. Would he be happier out of her house? No one's arguing that, Tess. Molly smoothed her hair back with a work roughened hand. And our men, too. No laughed, though it sounded forced. Can you imagine Will home all the time, not just in winter, clumping his boots up the stairs, staying out at the pub till all hours? I'm happy for the boats. Tess drew a hand to her cheek, rubbing it absent-mindedly. The others took notice and abruptly grew silent. Yes, Tess, Tess said, I'm happy for the boats. Carolyn thought of Paul working long hours every day. At least he came home at night, safe and sound. At least he didn't hit them. "'Mama!' a girl's voice called from behind them. Caroline, whirled to look. Her hopeful Marsha and Molly's worried, "'Betsy, what's new?' Uh, rang out together. Out of the darkness hurried a teenage girl about Marsha's age, but unlike the, her, this girl had long blonde hair braided down her back and wore a long dress like her mother. Caroline stifled a sob of her own. "'I saw the boats,' Betsy called out as, she was, as soon as she was in range to be heard. "'They're coming. I saw them from the cliff.' Betsy ran up to Molly, who hugged her close. The women took a few more steps down the pier, shading their eyes with their hands. Worry and hope mingled in their worn faces. Before Caroline could wonder how anyone could see boats from the cliff on a night like tonight, she spotted three boats entering the harbor. Other women and girls and some old men wearing fishermen's jerseys and fishermen's caps, their beards bobbing as they walked, began to fill the pier behind her. As a group, they all followed the fishing boats as they floated toward the dock and made fast. Caroline saw Molly and Tess happily greeting men and boys from the first two boats, their worry gone and their faces happy. She worked her way through the suddenly boisterous crowd, which ignored her, just as the women had, towards Nell. A man climbed up from the third boat, and Nell's face lit up. Her will, Caroline supposed. Will's face looked tired and defeated. I'm sorry, Nellie, Will said. I can't keep my promise. Nell dropped to her knees, her hands over her face, keening a wild note of sorrow. My rob, my rob. She kept repeating this until Will climbed all the way down onto the key and gathered her in, her ar- in his arms. Mama, a, voice, a boy's vo- voice cracking on the word, sounded at Caroline's elbow. She turned to see a teenage boy, dressed like the men, standing beside her, staring at Nell and Will. Papa? The two, in their grief, either didn't notice the boy or were ignoring him. The boy smelled strongly of the sea. Caroline looked closer. The boy's face appeared a very pale blue in this light and his lips and tongue were black as if he were using the same lipstick as the goths. But these weren't goths here. The boy stepped closer to Nell and Will. Mama, it's Rob, I'm home. Papa promised he'd bring me back. Mama? Rob's parents continued to ignore him. Abruptly, he turned back to her, speaking directly to her. Why won't they answer me, he asked. His dark mouth quivered as if he were holding back tears. You see me, don't you? Caroline nodded her head, afraid to say anything. Why don't they? Rob, Caroline tried again, almost choking on the familiar name. But what could she say? Because you're dead, you drowned. You went to sea and never came home to your mother. Your mother couldn't keep you safe and you're dead? Molly and Tess and some other women had come over to Nell, surrounding her and helping her to her feet. Rob stepped back and looked imploringly at Caroline. But she couldn't help him. She didn't belong here. She couldn't keep her own children safe. But what if this were her Rob, newly drowned and heartsick because his mother couldn't see him? Impulsively, Caroline reached for the boy and hugged him close, his waterlogged clothes clammy to the touch, but his body still substantial. He hugged her back, crying salty tears. She released him gently, and he stood back, looking imploringly into her eyes. I'm sorry, Caroline said, feeling how inadequate that sounded. I'm sorry. Caroline turned away from the boy, who was not her Rob, and ran down Pier Road. Almost immediately, she found herself in rain again. The slick road slowed her down only a little, and as she ran, her heart pounding in her chest from terror and exertion, she whispered to herself in time to her heartbeat, Find Marcia, Find Marcia, Find Marcia." At the bridge, she turned and crossed the harbor, then turned left again onto Church Street. Her pace slowed to a brisk walk, and she began to catch her breath. Up ahead to her right, she could see a long staircase heading up a hill. To the abbey, Caroline remembered from her tourist guide. When she reached them, she numbly began, climbing the stairs, counting as she went. Seventy-eight, seventy-nine, stairs still stretched steeply above her. Caroline turned and sat down on a stair. Seventy-nine. The rain fell lightly, falling in runnels down her coat. She had sat in a puddle, but was too tired to care. She put her elbows on her knees and her face in her hands and listened to the rainfall. 75 Seventy-five, seventy-six. Oh, hello, dear. Karen looked up to see, Carolyn looked up to see two old women on the steps below smiling up at her. They wore, odd, dark, they wore odd dark kerchiefs on their heads and long black robes. They were either witches or nuns, and Carolyn didn't care. She stared at them, silent. Is something wrong? asked the first woman, stepping up toward her. The other woman followed. No, nothing, Carolyn said. The first woman sat down next to her and put an arm around her shoulder. Carolyn suddenly found herself sobbing, telling these strange women about Marcia and their fight, her strange trip through Whitby, the fanged man, the drowned boy, how Rob never spoke, how Paul worked so hard, and how worried, how very worried she was for her family. I've lost my family, Carolyn finished, blowing her nose with a damp tissue, and I don't think they want me to find them. How can I keep them close to me? The first woman smiled at her from a round, cheerful face. But my dear, why would you want to? If you keep them locked away safely, how can they travel? How can they build new structures? How can they affect their country's future? The other woman interrupted. Living safely in one place your whole life lets you know your family and your neighbors in an intimate way, the first woman snorted. Like Trumlin. the second woman ignored her and went on. That can never be equaled by the inconsequentials of the worldly life. But Afleda, the first woman, jumped in. If that's all the life you know, how can you compare it to Hilda, Afleda said patiently in a way that led Caroline to believe this was a frequent argument in the way of old married couples. I left the abbey. I visited Cuthbert, not Trumwin, Hilda asked in an aside, pretending to look innocent. And as an aside, Abbess uh, Hilda is a woman I was talking about uh, before. Afleda is the abbess after her. So and, and if you want to know who Cuthbert and Trumwin are, do some research.
0: On the Internet:
1: On the Internet. Just because I didn't spend over 30 years in the world before, and, but those 30 years prepared me to be a leader to build a monastery which I led very well after your death, Afleta finished triumphantly. Caroline stared at her, not sure she had heard right, but not surprised either. She didn't think anything could surprise her again. Hilda looked uncomfortable, and both women sat quietly. Looks of chagrin on their faces. You're Abbess Hilda, Carolyn said, suddenly remembering her guidebook and not surprised at all to meet a thousand year old nun. I'm an abbess too, Alfleda cut in, the younger abbess. And you have a street named after you, Caroline said to Alfleda. Alfleda smirked, So I do. Carolyn looked back and forth at both of them, puzzled. But you're both saints. Why are you here? Aren't you supposed to be in heaven or something? Alfleda made a face at Hilda. That's not important, Hilda said quickly, turning to face Caroline directly. What is important is your daughter. I can promise you that you will find her. What do you want to do then? Hilda's face had lost its merry look. She sat, serious, waiting for Caroline's response. Caroline's first thought was to ground Marcia for six months, but something in Hilda's face gave her pause. What did she really want to do when she found her children again? I want to love them, she said slowly, and I want them to love me. I want to keep them safe until they're grown. How can you keep them safe and let them grow? Hilda asked quietly. Children can't grow in a cage. But what if someone hurts them? Carolyn asked, thinking of the fanged man in the cape. That's a risk you must take, Alfleda said. What matters is if you're there for them, to help them heal and to help them learn. But what about all the strange things they do, like those video games of Rob's and Marcia's goth clothes, that's how they learn, Hilda said with a smile. One summer when Elfleda was a girl, she insisted on walking backwards the entire summer. She drove the sisters to distraction, but she grew up to be a strong and splendid woman. The two old women smiled warmly at each other. Look in your heart and see the man and woman your child will become. Uh, that walking backward thing, I made that up. Just so you know. uh, Carolyn tried to imagine Marsha as an adult. Dressed in black fishnets on her way to an office, and Rob, looking up at her and actually speaking, she was too tired. Hilda and Effleda stood up. It's time for you to go to your children," said Effleda. Carolyn rose too. How? Just climb the stairs. Carolyn turned and looked up at the long flight above her. She turned back to thank the old women, but they were no longer there. She turned once more and stepped up to the, to the rain. I uh, stepped up in the rain, only to find herself on the stairs in the Sea Cliff Hotel. She swayed for a moment and caught the rail before she fell. She climbed to their floor and started down the hall to their room. As she reached it, she heard voices inside. Her knees started to give way in relief, but she steadied herself against the doorframe. Caroline reached for the doorknob, but paused for a moment. As Abbas Hilda had promised, she had found her children safe, if not entirely sound, based on the quarreling she heard through the door. She would try to be a better mother, maybe even a better wife. She smiled at her daydream of a perfect family and opened the door. The first thing she saw as she entered the room was Rob, seated on the floor in front of the television set, playing a game. He didn't look up. Mom, Marcia stood just outside the bathroom door, wearing a Nightmare Before Christmas nightgown and a towel wrapped around her hair. Where have you been? Carolyn almost laughed. She was so happy to see her children. She let her damp coat fall to the floor and held out her arms. Give me a hug, sweetheart, she said to her daughter. Ew, you're all wet. Marcia flounced over to the dressing table and began digging her iPod out of her bag. Carolyn kicked off her damp shoes and socks, then walked over to Rob. She reached down and tried to hug him, too, but his face never left the screen, and he wriggled away from her. Carolyn tried not to let herself feel the disappointment. At least they were safe. She was safe. She would be a better mother. She just wished they would be better children. With a sigh, she walked toward the bathroom and the promise of a hot bath. It wouldn't happen in a single night. It would take some work. 76, 77, she muttered to herself as she closed the bathroom door behind her. The end.
0: We'll go ahead and put links to all the interesting things mentioned here on the website, which is, of course, www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. And you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Tell us how you like this story. See if you can find it. We also answer email. Karen, if anyone emails in, would you be up to answering questions about it? I'd be
1: quite happy to.
0: Excellent. Thank you. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McAfee Schwein and our sound engineer and backup web spider is Dave Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our outro music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Enberg. You can hear more from Michael Enberg at manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, enabling everyone to wear the shirt that says, Red coffee is the best coffee on their chest.